You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I don't know why I'm singing. You just wanted to change it up a little? Yes. (laughs) Are you taking requests? Absolutely not, but I am going to throw a karaoke party once it's safe to do it. What? I am going to rock out. Karaoke is the last thing to come back because of all of the screaming into the mic. There is no singing. It is just screaming and spitting everywhere. I would like to hear Return of the Mac. I'm going to throw some D's on it is what I'm going to do. Okay, fine, fine. All right. Today we're not talking karaoke. We are talking resentment. Uh, We're going to talk about what it is, how to let go of it, and we're about to be joined by the Roxanne Francis, an award-winning registered social worker and psychotherapist, a consultant and speaker. She has been working with companies and people all over the world to achieve their mental health goals for over a decade. She is the owner of Francis Psychotherapy and Consulting Services, where she provides psychotherapy to individuals in the community. She also does clinical supervision for other therapists and does a whole bunch of consultation with organizations around mental health in the workplace, around diversity, equity, and inclusion, around burnout. A lot of us are feeling that right now, around children's mental health, around parenting. She's also a media mental health expert, which is how I got to know her. And you'll see her on newscasts and print and online publications pretty much everywhere. How did she find time for this podcast? She is so busy. (laughs) I know. I just forced my way in there into her IGDM. (laughs) Before Roxanne joins us, I want to send a huge shout out to our sponsors, Adam and Eve, who have yet again extended their promo for 50% off almost any item plus free shipping and a whole series of free surprise gifts with code Dr. Jess. So be sure to check them out at adamandeve.com. I was actually uh, online shopping and I noticed uh, a bunch of their Lingerie and hot fetish wear is on sale right now. So I have my eye on something called the Scandal Full Length Bodysuit. So Brandon, you should actually go check it out. I know you're not- Do they have them in my size? (laughs) Probably. Um, That would be amazing. I think I'd look great in it. I I mean, I know you're not a shopper. By the way, I'm talking about for me. (laughs) You know the last time you bought me clothes? Do you remember you bought me like a a tiger print spandex dress? I had to take it back. Winning. (laughs) (laughs) That was probably a decade ago. So now I'm giving you a strong hint. No- spandex tiger print dresses for me if, if that's your jam that's cool it's just not my style instead go find the scandal full-length bodysuit at adamandeve.com i think everyone should just get dildos Every, dildos for everyone all right there- birthdays anniversaries weddings dildos for everyone you mean like corporate gifts you've been here yes. 10 years <laughs> corporate <laughs> you- <laughs> this is 25 year anniversary we got you three you can choose between a pen or this dildo shaped like a pen I would definitely take the dildo-shaped pen, 100%. (laughs) All right, it's time. Enough of that. Do go check out adamandeve.com. Use code Dr. Jess to save and also to let them know you learned about it here. But now, let's talk resentment. Joining us now is the Roxanne Francis. So good to be chatting with you. We've been chatting over IG for a while and I've been following your work. I am such a big fan. I can see that not only are your clients really lucky to have you as a therapist, but also media is lucky to have you as a very, very 
active voice. What's on your radar right now? What are you working on? Oh gosh. Well, thank you for that, by the way. <laughs> I really do enjoy my work with my clients. So that's always on my radar, but also on my radar is the support that I offer to other therapists because the work can be lonely. And sometimes you don't really have anyone to say, Hey, what do you think about so-and-so? So I offer some guidance and support, a little bit of mentorship and so on to other therapists in the field. That's so important. I'm hoping that that's something that therapists are doing throughout the entire course of their career. Because I know in the beginning you have to do supervision right. and there are a certain number of hours, Yeah. but uh, I'm always drawn to the therapists who keep that going because right. man, it's a hard job you have. <laughs> it's definitely challenging. Yeah. How are you feeling as of late? I mean, the bird, I mean, it's always a heavy and yeah. emotionally, I don't want to say draining, it's draining for me, but maybe not for everybody. It's an emotionally demanding mm -hmm. career. And I imagine over the last year or so, it's become even more intensified. Yeah, it's really interesting in that we are in a really challenging time. We are dealing with some of the same frustrations that our clients are dealing with. And I don't think that there's ever been any time in history recorded that I'm aware of where the therapists are going through the very same thing that your client's facing and they're coming to you for answers. And you're like, still struggling with that myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the isolation, working from home, the whole family at home, you know, all of that stuff is challenging. I think at this point, maybe the difference is that the therapists have, I guess, more coping techniques and strategies. You know, we've studied a lot of this stuff. So we kind of know how to compartmentalize and separate certain things. But still, I tell my friends sometimes at the end of the day, I just want quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Are you finding that, that you're more socially burned out when you do talk to people now? Like I, I was recording some videos yesterday and it took me about, I'd say 55 minutes of direct talking to camera. And by the end of it, I felt like I had worked for a week and that wasn't like me before. I used to be able to get up and do that and then do four more interviews and then do a, a bunch of other things. But the 50 odd minutes of talking to camera just drained me. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely challenging. Sometimes at the end of the day, if my phone rings, I'm like, oh, why is it ringing? I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> Just text me already. <laughs> That's right. The big life changer for me was when my mom and dad learned oh, how to text. <laughs> It's like just like a whole new oh, world no. out there. My dad's texts are very formal. Like it's kind of like, dear Jess, this is dad. Not, not exactly. It <laughs> yeah. started that way. And then I'm like, sometimes I have to look up the words he uses. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is a very, very long word for a text. <laughs> I think he's asking if dinner's at 6 p.m., but I'm not sure. So formal. <laughs> exactly. Now you work with a, a huge range of issues, but yeah. one of the ones that I'd really like to talk about today is resentment mm -hmm. in relationships. And I can see Brandon. Brandon and I are in different locations for folks who, who don't know. Well, not different locations. We're in a different room in the house just for, for sound purposes. But I see Brandon's eyes kind of widening around resentment. Maybe I'll go to you, babe. Do you think you harbor resentment? Are you like a resentful person? Are you feeling much resentment these days? I think it depends on the relationship. I think if I were to reflect on our relationship, I don't feel very much resentment. I'm sure that there is some, like I'm sure that if I were to really be honest and unpack some stuff, there must be some somewhere hidden in some nasty corner. Is, um, is it because it took you four hours to make the salad board yesterday? No, you know, I made the salad board yesterday. <laughs> it was really no, nice. No resentment. No resentment. I took, I enjoyed that process. It took me a very long time to do it, but I didn't dislike it. Now, if you ask me to make something more complicated, I will definitely resent that, you know, the, the, the request. But when I think about other relationships that I have, I definitely have 
resentment and is resentment that I don't know how to address. And it's meaning address with the other person or, or address with myself, like come to terms with it. And I don't really know how to fix it either. Well, I'd like to hear about what you think triggers your resentment, but let's obviously go to the expert here. Roxanne, what is resentment? Like, how does it even build? You know, it's so funny. We often look at these things and expect these huge, huge explanations. But I think resentment really just boils down to unexpressed anger or unexpressed frustration. Sometimes the frustration is there and the anger is there. And sometimes we don't even recognize it. And if we don't even recognize that we're harboring this thing, it's definitely unexpressed. It's unexpressed verbally, but it comes out in so many different ways, right? It just leaks out. Absolutely. And you must feel it in your body. Like, totally. I mean, how do clients explain resentment in their bodies? Or, or I, maybe Brandon can weigh in after as well. Yeah, I get different things from tightness in my chest, knots in my stomach, grinding my teeth, uh, headaches all the time. <laughs> I, I'm just counting and checking He's the boxes here. So yeah, just, just keep explaining my resentment. Yeah, continue. Um, difficulty <laughs> falling asleep or staying asleep. That, <laughs> right? And just tightness in the body in general, because, you know, when we hold anger, there's tension, right? And so that can result in tightness in the body. And once the resentment gets processed. Once we're able to discuss, once we're able to find a resolution, that physical tension tends to release itself. That makes sense. So it's this unexpressed anger or frustration mm -hmm. or dissatisfaction. It builds over time. You can totally. feel it in your body. How does it show up in relationships? There must be so many different ways that you see resentment come out, whether it's in a very straightforward way or in all these kind of corollary ways that we may not even recognize as mm -hmm. resentment itself. Mm -hmm. It can come through just, you know, in some women that I work with, there is the you know, banging around pots and pans, the popular, how are you doing? Fine. You know, <laughs> um, sometimes that can show up, you know, in the bedroom, right? Oftentimes when things are unresolved, people don't want to be touched, right? Get away from me. I'm not, I'm not into that. But quite often people will come to me with, you know, they think that their issue is unique to them, but I hear these stories so often they play out like the same old tape where one partner will say, I'm always the one putting the kids to bed. I'm always the one making the meals. I'm always the one doing this. I'm always the one doing that. And you get to chill on the couch. And so when the other person who's chilling on the couch goes to, you know, to touch you later, you get the cold shoulder and then it's, but you're always frigid. You never want to acquiesce what's going on. Nothing, nothing's going on. And then they come to me <laughs> and the one partner will say, but they never want to be affectionate and they never want to spend time with me. And then I hear, well, why would I want to spend time with you? I'm the one always doing this and I'm all the way, always the one doing that. And then we start to give space to what's going on and talking about what's going on. I've had couples come to me around, you know, they come to me and they say communication is the issue, right? We're always arguing. We're always fighting. I can't find out what, I can't figure out what's going on. And then after we peel back all the layers, I get to find out, well, in this 15 year relationship, maybe in year one, there was infidelity and it seemed like it was resolved. And here we are three children 15 years later, and I still feel inadequate because you stepped out on me with so-and-so, right? And I still feel the resentment because you never apologized properly. You just bought me flowers and thought it was over, right? So people harbor all these things over time and it definitely impacts the relationship. And so we have to give space. We have to give permission.
foundation for people to really talk about these things. Because a lot of people feel like we never talked about stuff when I was younger. I never had the space to express my feelings. And so we carry some of that in our adult life. And so we feel like I'm not allowed to really share what's going on. Or I'll just keep quiet because that's what I was told to do when I was a kid. Or only one person gets to share their opinion. They're quite loud and, and I'm just quiet and reserved where, as a matter of fact, I'm really just pissed off. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and right? that, you know, when we start with anger, there are so many of us who are afraid, I think, especially in Western cultures to even express anger. Yes. It's like, it's an accusation. And actually, Brendan, I've heard this in some of your like family conversations, they'll say like, well, you're just angry. And I'm, I want to say to you like, but you're allowed to be angry. That's like, right. Yeah. I'm effing angry. Yes, yes. You said you were coming for dinner and didn't show up or, you know, you canceled that last minute for the third time mm-hmm. this year, right. For a family dinner, or I'm, I'm just allowed to be mad, but yes. I, I don't know. There's this whole kind of toxic positivity zen, yes. like yes. everything is cool. You just got to go with the flow, especially pressure on, I think women mm-hmm. to be the cool girl, to be mm-hmm. like, nah, man, it's cool. Like, I don't, I don't get upset about things. I'm chill. And maybe there's a lot of pressure on men in a similar fashion, right? Because you're not supposed to have these swings of mood or variations or, you know, shades of emotional response. But that pressure to pretend everything is fine, to say everything is good. Then we tie in the status of happy relationships, Mm -hmm. like the trophy marriage, the trophy husband, the trophy wife, the trophy partner. And so we don't even want to admit to our friends or, and if we don't want to admit it to our friends, we also don't really want to admit it to our ourselves. That's it. And so all of these things can build resentment. Now you brought up one of the biggest issues, which really is division of labor, division of unpaid labor and household labor. Like when people talk about, you know, we're not having sex or my partner doesn't want to communicate or my partner won't open up. Oftentimes it's tied to the fact that the pressure to perform certain tasks falls on one partner. Oftentimes that is highly and deeply rooted in gender. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, and it's, it's both of you that are performing these things. I know that in the past when I've done a lot of things and become resentful about it, become frustrated about it. It's not necessarily because somebody else is telling me I have to do it. That's right. It's not even necessarily because the thing needed to get done. Because I could say, oh, well, if I don't do it, he's not going to do it. But the big question is, does it need to be done? That's right. Who values it getting done? I value Mm -hmm. it getting done. Maybe he doesn't value it and it's not important. And then I do it all. And I'm not actually talking necessarily in the context of our relationship, babe. I'm thinking about within my family and Mm -hmm. within my whole kind of social network. Sometimes I'll kind of sign myself up to do everything, but nobody's asked me. Right. Like I, I think we were home a couple of weeks ago for four nights in Toronto. And I think I hosted, I like just, I put dinner out front of my house. Was it five nights? Oh, anyway, it was all five nights. I put dinner out front and I'd like cook for everybody. I, mean, I can't say I'm resentful of that, but I get like overwhelmed and I get right. tired. No one asked me to cook. No one asked me to put dinner on my front steps for everyone to come get. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I wanted to do that, but then I'm, I'm doing all, I'm signing myself up for tasks that no one asked me to do. And I'm sort of rambling right now, but I have fallen into that where I get resentful, like also with uh, responsibilities around my parents that right. I don't have to do, but I take on. Mm-hmm. Feeling responsible for other people's mm-hmm. feelings is a big one. So we've got division of labor, yes. uh, which is very, I think, clearer to look at. But then there's also emotional labor that yes. sometimes is put on you, but sometimes you decide to take on yourself. Like mm-hmm. if I'm worried that I'll just make this up, that, that that my mother is upset about something or that, you know, there's an interaction between my mother and another family member and I want to make it better. I'm just making this up, mom. Uh, <laughs> 
but it's actually not on me to figure out, but I seem to somehow think I can be the fixer. Right. So who's creating that situation? Me. Exactly. Like, babe, do you have an example of like how your resentment builds? I know oftentimes yours is around feeling like people, well, I don't want to speak for you, but I think like I've noticed when people expect things of you or demand things of you or are a little bit greedy. I mean, again, I think it depends on the context, but I think, you know, when, when it comes to certain relationships, when I feel like I'm being taken advantage of, mm. uh, that builds resentment. Yeah. And I, and I mean, maybe I should just stop right there. Come on, share. Jump in on that piece just and tie that in with what you were saying just earlier around, around anger, right? You know, we tend to vilify this emotion, but it's an emotion like everything else. Joy, fear, pride, anger. It's just one of them. And I like to think that emotions are kind of like the thermostat for what's going on with you, right? They tell us that something, it's like the, the dashboard in your car. When the light flashes E, you know, you need to get gas. When the engine light comes on, you need to go find yourself a service station right away. Something's happening on the inside and we need to pay attention and find out what that is. And when people get angry, oftentimes people equate that with like violence or something like that. But to be quite clear, anger serves a purpose and we need to pay attention to it. Anger tells us when our boundaries have been crossed. Think about why you get angry. Like Jess, you were saying when, when someone's late and they don't call, maybe when you've made dinner and you're waiting for someone to show up, that's a boundary for you. I've gone out of my way. I've done this nice thing. You said you were going to be here on time. Time is important to you, right? You know, Brandon, when you feel like someone's taking advantage of you, that irks you. It causes resentment. It causes anger. It tells you about who you are and it tells you about how this person is crossing your personal boundary and your emotions are saying to you, I can't have that. And that's where anger comes up. So it is now when you find yourself being angry, now it's important to figure out what am I going to do with that, right? Am I going to punch a hole in the wall? Am I going to yell and scream? Am I going to collect myself? And then firmly, clearly say to the person who's crossed my boundary, I can't have this. Please don't do this anymore. Here's what I expect in the future, right? And what happens is we don't pay attention to that because society says, no, 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 anger, anger isn't cute. So we stuff it down. We don't talk about it. We get resentful. And then we're in the couple therapy office in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> is, is it okay to first slam the drawers and bang yes. the pots and then yes. collect myself? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Babe, do I do that sometimes? Like I kind of like make a whole bunch of noise. I don't think so. I really? mean, I can't. Nah. I feel like I, sometimes I must because I, I had that in my household growing up. Yeah, totally. Me too. I mean, yeah, so did I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as you're walking us through this, I, I think about, I talk about jealousy often and how you mm -hmm. need to make friends with jealousy, how it's mm -hmm. functional and normative. I have to admit, I haven't spent as much time thinking about anger in the same thing. And, and of course, as you're explaining it, Roxanne, it's like so clear. Well, this applies to all emotions. Like no emotion right. is good, bad or avoidable. And so anger is, I really appreciate that. It's telling me something is going on in my in my body mm -hmm. or in my self. And so I need to do something about it. And so obviously the big question here is how do we let go of resentment? And as you walked us through that process of, you know, using it as a barometer, using frustration or anger as a barometer, you're already answering that question, right? So if my resentment has built because someone in my life constantly cancels plans, well, how can I let go of that resentment? I'm assuming that I can tell them like this actually doesn't right. work for me, when we talk about setting boundaries, we all often talk about saying what our expectations are and what the consequences are, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're not going to show up, I'm not going to invite you. Mm -hmm. Or if you're going to be late, I'm going to start without you, right? Mm -hmm. If A occurs, then my response will be B. Exactly. And then 
following through on that. But I want to add an extra layer to this, which is, okay, so I can maybe set that boundary, but following through on the boundary might be hard for me because I'm like, I want to please and I don't like Mm. people mad at me Mm. and I'm scared of being perceived as not the nicest, right? right? Like I really, this is something my friend Luna and I talk about. Do you know Luna Matadas? She's another sex educator. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely brilliant. And we share a lot in in common emotionally. And we were talking, I'll I'll share what what I was saying yesterday is that like, there's this fear that people won't like me. Like Mm. I'm so desperate for people to like me. And then, you know, the therapist will begin with, well, you have to work on liking yourself. And I I really do like myself. (laughs) So there's something in my background, in my history that I have to kind of get at. Mm -hmm. So it's not as clear as like, okay, I'm resentful. I'm going to let go of the resentment by speaking my mind. But then I also have to follow through on that boundary I've set. And in order to follow through, I have to work on my people pleasing stuff. So how do we do that? Like, let's give an example of, well, maybe you can use one from one of your couple's clients, like couple that's resentful over something for many years. Is there something that comes to mind? Let's see. The one that immediately comes to mind is that infidelity example, but you know, because comes in quite often. People have been together for years, decades, and the wife is still, or one partner is still caught up with something challenging, like infidelity that happened in year one, year two, when they were dating. I find that what tends to happen is that the reason that we often harbor resentment for so long is because somewhere along the course of our lives, and particularly in childhood, we've gotten the message that it's not safe to share how you feel. Because like you said, someone might pull away their love, right? So we might not be like, if we share how we feel. Or when you were growing up, people sharing how they felt would mean a lack of physical safety. There might be some kind of physical abuse or something, or there might be yelling and screaming and just poor methods of communication or silent treatment. So withholding communication, withholding community. And so there is danger, this real perceived sense of danger, if I were to really share how I'm feeling. So maybe you're in a loving relationship, but you still feel like you're eight years old and you feel like you can't share. And so in the therapy session, we often unpack what it means to communicate and what it felt like. When was the last time you communicated displeasure and felt safe around that? What did that sense of that sense of not feeling safe, what was that like for you? And do you feel unsafe in this current relationship? Recognizing that you're no longer eight years old, recognizing that you're no longer in danger. And what do you think would actually happen if you communicated your displeasure right now? So we have to unpack all of that stuff and then create a safe space for one partner in the therapeutic setting to discuss their displeasure in the therapeutic setting, have the other partner respond, and then they go home and they continue to practice that. That must be, I think, so hard to differentiate between that, you know, a history of feeling unsafe and then say, you know, the cognitive piece that I should know that I'm safe. Now, you must also have relationships where people aren't emotionally safe. And that doesn't mean that it's abusive. But, you know, if every time I bring something up to Brandon, he withdraws, there's a consequence to me that I want to avoid. Or if every time he brings something up to me, I lash out. Right. It doesn't have to be like full abandonment. No. Right. Like the the brain and the body are so, we're seeking of safety, aren't we? Exactly. Like All the full time. safety. So if you are harboring resentment over something that happened years ago or mm. over the course of many years of feeling that you've done more, or I'd love to give another example. If I see this all the time where one partner sort of gives up their career mm. to raise the kids. Yes. Yeah. And then the kids are like 14, 18, 20, and obviously don't require the same type of support or same hands-on job that you had. And they're feeling like they have to start over again. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And I want to just say with so many of the couples that I work with, both partners had the potential to do huge, exciting things in careers, but you just oftentimes two can't do it. Right. Like right. Brendan and I are like, we don't have kids, so it's a different story. But when mm-hmm. you have kids, it can be really challenging. Yep. So that, that can lead to like years of resentment. So totally. where do we begin? Like if, if you're at home and you're like, yeah, this is me. I'm struggling with this. Resentment, I think, is something that we hold on to. It's not on the other partner. Yeah. Where do I begin to let go of the resentment so that every time my partner says something, I'm not chippy at them? So that every time they reach for me, I don't necessarily pull away. Mm-hmm. The first thing we have to do is recognize it because we trick ourselves into believing that I don't get angry. I'm not upset. I'm not that kind of person. And so, you know, I'm not yelling and screaming. I'm not throwing things. I'm fine. So the first thing we have to do is recognize it. And once we've recognized it, then we have to actually voice it and recognize that it's okay to voice it. It's okay to communicate that this is how you feel. And we need to address the other partner, right? Now that you've heard how they feel, what does that feel like for you? Because like you said, in many relationships, it's emotionally unsafe to say what's going on. The other person might withdraw. There might be other emotional consequences, right? And so we want to contain that, right? We want to recognize it and acknowledge it. Recognize that they're once one partner A talks about how they feel, you know, they explain why they're feeling resentful. We need to talk about how partner B is feeling, right? Do you, is it that you need a minute? because you've just heard a lot of things come down or are you okay to share, you know, quite often, you know, like you said earlier, sometimes we get resentful because we are doing all these things when no one's asked us to. And so the other partner might be like, what? Well, I had no, what? I had no, no. <laughs> you know, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect you to do all of that. You just need to leave. You really need to speak to myself here. <laughs> My partner would say, just ask for help. I'll help you, but you just take this, okay, I'm talking to myself, you just take on all these things, right? Without asking for help. And then before you know it, you're resentful. So we need to be able to communicate this in a safe place. And then after we've communicated that, recognize that feelings are hurt, apologize where apologies are due. And they need to be real apologies, real heartfelt, sincere apologies. Just because you apologize, it doesn't mean that you owe like five dozen roses. But if there are steps that need to happen in order to sort of make amends, then take those steps. So how do you, I'm thinking that so many people would arrive at an impasse before we can even get to acknowledging wrongs. So if, Mm -hmm. you know, I say, you know, I gave all of this up to support your career. You got to have the glory. You get the recognition. My partner might say like, that was your choice. Like, I didn't make you do that. I didn't, you know, you wanted to do that at the time. How do you get them to open up to the perspective or to the potential that we're all responsible here, mm-hmm. right? It's not blame, but like we all made this situation and we need to look forward. Like, how, how do you get over that hump? Yeah, again, it's the, that's where I come in with guiding the conversation. Oftentimes when we hear something that we don't want to hear, the first thing we do is defend ourselves, right? That was your choice. I didn't ask you to do that. But when that's happening, when you're so quick to defend, you're not really hearing the hurt. You're not really hearing how it's impacted your partner. You're not hearing the consequences. You're not hearing how they felt life has passed them by. You're not hearing how they feel when they have to live in the shadows and you get to live in the spotlight, right? Or it might be perceived that way. They're the partner may think, I wasn't always in the spotlight. This is really, really hard. I carried this whole home financially. And there are times when I felt like I couldn't make it, but I couldn't 
come to you because you wouldn't understand. So each person experiences it differently. It always looks like the grass is greener on the other side. You know, you get to play with the kids and and make fancy meals and watch soap operas all day while <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, bust my butt trying to make sure that we have a roof over our heads. It always looks different. And so it's really, really important that space is given to each person to share their own reality. What I often do is when one partner is allowed to share their reality, I get the other person then to rephrase it. Can you tell me what she just said? It doesn't have to be word for word. Just tell me what you think you heard. And once in the retelling of what they've heard, it starts to sink in because now you're almost putting yourself in the other person's shoes just by saying the story out of your own mouth. And what a great technique. You've created a buffer to kind of just stop the immediate defensiveness. Right. Because we're all defensive. Yeah. Like, no one wants to be wrong. No one wants to hurt someone they care about. No one wants no. to be, you know, part of making making them feel badly over years and years or even for a minute. So mm -hmm. I love that, you know, what I'm hearing from you is mm -hmm. like that just lets it sink in for a moment. Yeah. And it must, I'm sure there's something chemical in the body where that creates more empathy. It does create empathy. I'm not sure what the chemical reaction is, Yeah, but it does create empathy. And that's what we're looking for. When you are able to see things from the other person's point of view, it bridges that divide and people begin to reconnect a little easier. So I, I really appreciate that you're able to facilitate this in session. And I can really hear how important it is for couples to go to a facilitated conversation, whether you call it therapy or counseling mm -hmm. or psychotherapy, it's a facilitated conversation. Right. Uh, and I want to acknowledge that not everybody can do that. Yep. Like when I hear you speak, I'm like, oh yeah, this would definitely be easier with you at the helm. <laughs> you just, you tell me when to speak. You tell me what to say. I won't interrupt Brandon. You'll tell me when it's his turn, my turn. For people who can't, aren't willing to get to therapy or have, you know, only one partner is open to going or they just don't have the budget or time for it right now. How do you do this at home? Like how, what technique can you employ to slow your roll <laughs> sort of and not just dive into the defensiveness or the yeah. attack? One of the things that I encourage people to do is write each other letters. And I don't mean type it up in your notes or send an email or send a text. I mean, actually old school, get a pen, a notepad and write the process of slowing down to put your thoughts on paper. It can take out some of the steam. It can take out some of the accusatory kind of tone. So I often suggest that. The other thing that I suggest is asking yourselves, if you're going to be talking about this at home, before you have a conversation, ask yourself, what do you think is your partner's intent? Because sometimes we feel like our partner engages in this way, or they always do this, or they always do that. My question is, do you think they intended to hurt your feelings? What do you think was their intent? When you have been at home these past 12, 13, 14, 15 years, and your partner has been working, what do you think their intent was? Do you think their intent was to just kind of throw you in the corner so they could live it up. Is that, is that what you really think? Because if that's the case, you have to think about, did I choose someone whose intent has been to hurt me all this time? And so you really, it really causes us to, to reflect and think about this person that we chose. The other thing I ask people about is think about when you first got together, because oftentimes when you first get together, it's amazing. And then I ask, what do you think happened? Where was that? Where was that shift? And when you can think about that shift, when you can identify that shift, then let's talk to each other about that shift. Let's not talk about right now, but let's talk about when things started to go a little bit different. What do you think happened? 
Do you find that people can pinpoint or is it more gradual? Uh, it depends. Some people are able to right away. Hmm. And some people have to think about that a little bit. Some people can say, oh yeah, it was right after my second kid was born and I gained 40 pounds mm -hmm. immediately. Other people, it's a little bit more gradual. It's that building of the distance when they start to not really see each other as much, you know, life kind of gets in the way. Work, maybe school, paying the bills, the career, all, all of that stuff. Maybe children, sometimes that gets in the way. And before you know it, that's all we're talking about. And we don't talk about each other anymore. Yeah, we go out to dinner, but we talk about the stock market. We talk about the children. We talk about my aging parents. We don't talk about each other. Right. Family work schedules. Like oh, I always gosh. say, that's like the dark triad of conversations. Oh, yes. Like if that's all you have, where's the passion? Where's the desire? Yes. Where's the excitement? Where's the real vulnerable connection? Like so we haven't yes. had a chance but to talk about part of resentment, I think, is an avoidance of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. It is, it is much easier to stay angry than to say like, man, I feel lonely. Mm -hmm. It is much easier to be frustrated over division of labor than to say, you know, I really regret a decision that I made. So there's so much avoidance here. I, I feel like you've given us so many tools for letting go of resentment. So recognizing it, um, having these conversations, retelling what your partner has said, like restating it to better understand it. Yeah. Uh, you said, what was the next thing? Um, apologizing, making amends, mm -hmm. um, going back to your early story and discussing where the shift was. I imagine that expression of appreciation can also yes. help to offset resentment. Like I always think of totally. that scene. I don't even know what the movie was called but it's with Mila Kunis and the therapist asks them to say three things they love about the yes. partner. And what is she, she says like that she really appreciates when, well, first he says, can, can she go first? <laughs> the husband says, can my wife go first? He has nothing to say. And she says, I really appreciate when he picks up the kids from school. That actually helps me out a lot. Mm -hmm. And then he says, I like her cooking at her ziti. Does that count as two things? <laughs> But I think, I don't know, with Brandon, with you, I, it's so many, so easy for me to say so many things I appreciate about you. I feel there's ongoing expressions of appreciation and the flow in both directions. And I think that's something that I'm sure as a therapist, you have to train people because if you mm. never heard that growing up, how do you all of a sudden start being so effusive mm -hmm. with compliments or thanks or gratitude? Uh, and I also really appreciate the letter writing. Actually thinking about letter writing stresses me out because it's so slow and I like fast. Yes. Like I'm like, well, could I first make notes on the computer? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> but there have been there have been circumstances where you and I have had disagreements and we've ended up writing each other letters. Now they're not letters, they might be a long email or a long text. Mm -hmm. And I've actually found it very, very helpful because before I send it, I can read it and start analyzing, oh, I didn't mean it. This this came across too harsh. Right. Or I didn't you know change your wording so that you, what I'm trying to get at is I'm trying to communicate in a way to resolve or you know find some common ground or or, or fix the problem, mm -hmm. right? We're trying to get out of this in a positive way, this argument, right? That's the way I, I approach it. Yeah. So writing the letter is almost like for me, rather than that knee-jerk response that Jess, you were saying, I actually find if I need to take like a 30 second break before I respond. Because if I take a minute and don't snap back with a quick answer, and I just let myself think about what I'm going to say, even just that brief pause changes how I respond. Yeah. You and know, I, I always, I, and for me, it's more effective. I hope, I think I communicate more effectively. They say you shouldn't resolve, try and resolve arguments over text. And you see all of the kind of posts about that. And the experts are saying, so I have to just say, and this just speaks to the fact that there are no universal truths when it comes right. to relationships. 
we have resolved arguments over text so effectively and I appreciate it so much. I don't think we're just shooting off. Like we're, I wouldn't say we're fighting. I feel, oh, maybe that's just semantics. I feel like we're trying to resolve something, come to a resolution as opposed to like, you know, throwing or hurling accusations. But I find it so useful over text for exactly the reason you're saying, Brandon, which is that you get a moment to pause. I'm a literal person. I'd always rather read than listen. And you can edit and delete. I, I don't know if you run into this, Roxanne, if like maybe I'm way off because every no. therapist I've ever talked to has always said, no, 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 you're wrong. <laughs> I don't think you're wrong, but I think it works for you because you and Brandon are already really good communicators. You are already quite in sync. I can tell. I could tell from just listening to the podcasts that you guys have recorded together. You guys are very much in sync and you guys are effective communicators. And so it really, really helps when you are able to communicate in that way. The couples that I have met, like the ones who struggle with communicating over text or resolving disputes over text, they're really not good at communicating to begin with. And so they fire off these accusations and these mean statements. And then before you know it, they're deeper in than they were before. Right. And for those people, I say you need a face to face conversation and you need to slow this down with letter writing because the text is just not helpful because people fire things off and they hit that arrow or they hit send before they read it over, before they consider how is the other partner going to feel reading this. Yeah, I absolutely. Think with that. No, and I can't say we've said like, we're not like saying mean things to each other. It's more like, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm struggling with. Right. And believe it or not, text slows us down, slows mm -hmm. me down. But letter writing seems like something that we could definitely explore. Uh, Brandon, anything to add on resentment? I thought you were going to say so much more about the resentment in your relationships. No, I'm, I mean, I've just listening and I'm I'm just listening and learning and and you know for me I find you commented on how anger is an ugly emotion like people associate it so it's like I never want to be angry mm -hmm. I never I never want to go there it's like oh I'm not I'm not angry I'm not angry but the reality is is I am angry and I'm a I I I know now I'm allowed to be angry, but I, I think for me, I equated anger with like a full stop. It was like, that's it. I'm angry. There's no solution here. As opposed to I'm angry. This is why I know that there's a solution. Here it is. I had that happen recently where I was so worked up. Like I was this accumulated over the course of about, it had been going on for a long time, but I had a discussion. After the discussion, it was like the sun came out and mm. rainbows were there and everything was so much better. Now it's not completely resolved, but I had let it fester and get so bad that I, I was so irritated that it was manifesting itself physiologically. I was having you know bad sleeps. It was just affecting my mood in so many different ways. And I knew that I needed to have this conversation. I didn't want to have it. I had the conversation and immediately thereafter, I was just like, because of these like physiological responses that yeah. I was having. So I was just so adverse to being angry when it was like, no, you can, I can, I now know I can be angry, but I should also have, you know, a solution to work my way out of anger in a productive way. Mm -hmm. And just before I let you go, is there a piece too where not everything can be resolved? Where like we have to accept some degree of residual anger or some degree of residual conflict? Like, do you find that with, with relationships that we can't solve every little thing? You know, there are some things, actions that have happened that may not be, you may not be able to go back and take things back, right? You can't unring that bell. Once you clap, that sound is gone, right? In some situations, you know, people have passed away and there's been no resolution. Relationships have ended. People have moved away. You can't get in touch with them. There's no resolution. And so you now have to make peace with yourself, right? In order to move on. Sometimes you have to forgive that person in absentia. Like you just have to pretend that they're there and you just have to sometimes in people come 
come to me, sometimes I get them to write a therapeutic letter where you are talking to that person about how they've wronged you, about, you know, you can offer them forgiveness if you feel like it. Forgiveness is not always accessible to everybody. And giving yourself the permission to move on. It can be hard, but it's important. Yeah, that makes sense. And that letter writing, even if they will never read it, can be such an, I think, powerful yeah. exercise. Um, you've provided us with so many strategies, so much perspective on resentment. And hopefully people will feel like whatever little resentment or big resentment they're feeling, they have additional tools now to address it within yourself or if you have a partner or partners with, with your partners as well. Roxanne Francis, thank you so much for your time and insights today. Where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Francis Psychotherapy. You can always head to my website, francispsychotherapy.com. And I may just show up on TV on the news somewhere just talking about all kinds of stuff related to mental health. Awesome. And we do have a, a many therapists who listen. So you, when is your next clinical supervision or support group opening? Yeah, so that opens up in October. So it's a four-month span and we do clinical group supervision. So I'm happy to have uh, new people on board. They can join the waitlist at francispsychotherapy.com slash waitlist. Awesome. Thank you so much. We'll put all of those links in the show notes. Thank you folks for listening wherever you're at. Have a great one. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life. Thank you.